claps were yes that was the best clap we've ever done right there no not even close dude didn't even hear yours so i feel like that mean but on but on my end yours was a half second after mine okay perfect (laughs) (laughs) you know i i did learn the right way to do it is you have both people looking at a a clock Mm -hmm. and you say like, so right now for me, it's 625. For you, it's 425 or whatever. Right. We would say like at the 26th minute, we both clap because then we don't have to deal with the compensation of the network. You just have to deal with your, your reaction time. You have to be a smart watch though. Not, not the watch I'm wearing right now. Or a phone watch that has... Satellite time. We don't have to do it. I'm just saying. I said it five minutes fast so I wouldn't be late for this. I appreciate you laying out some specifics for the pod today. I want to believe that I am a useful person in society just being this. To have everything laid out for me, I will get it done. I know people like more control than that. I'm not looking for control in those tasks in my creative realm and stuff like that I want control but when it's just something that needs done and is specific like that I love them I honestly physically when you sent me that text earlier today I I literally went (sighs) what was the stress you were feeling I only have stress because I care about this a lot so like I, I want it to be like I want it to work as it should and so yeah when I have all of this stuff and like money sitting on my desk to make this work, it's like, why shouldn't that work? Why, why wouldn't that work? I'm glad it was helpful for you. Here's, here's my fear when things like that happen. I'm always afraid that I'm going to overwhelm you with a lot of information all at once because my brain works a thousand miles an hour. I hate having conversations a million texts at a time when it could be one long text. And I hate getting, inform- personally, I hate getting information a few chunks at a time when the person could just take five more minutes to put together a, one email as opposed to like 10 emails with little chunks of information. So you did that for me. I did, but my fear is always that it's going to be overwhelming because sometimes people open a long message and you'll just be like, I'll just, I'll just wait for him to do it for me or explain it to me while we're Together, I'm not going to read this whole thing and then like proactively do it. So that's fear number one. But then fear number two is that it's going to be interpreted as like a control freak kind of thing. Like, but I've had to kind of teach myself I shouldn't be embarrassed for giving a damn about things. And I've had to just accept that that's who I am. Like I'm always going to, I'm going to be that guy that like if I'm going to do a project, I'm going to figure out the details of how to do that project well. And I'm going to expect that people care about it enough to follow through on, on those things. And that's not to say that I can't be like persuaded that there's a different approach, but in the absence of someone else doing that, I'm going to fill that void. Maybe, maybe I do have a, a control issue, but these things drive me nuts when they don't work or when I don't know how to do things. So. When we did the trial run yesterday, the tech run, 
neither of us probably stopped thinking about it after I, I laid awake. Because nothing worked. Yeah. That stuff, mentally, it wears me out a little bit. It's weird because I love figuring out how all this stuff works. The audio, the video with my MacBook and the interface, like I enjoy it. But I think because I enjoy it so much and I put some heart into such a simple thing, that's what exhausts me. But is there is there anyone else you work with like at work or anything, you know, without getting specific, obviously, that that prefers the like, I don't want to say breadcrumb, but you know what I mean? They're like, give me a little bit of what you need at a time. Um, no, I don't, I don't really work with people like that because I'm not in a position to delegate things generally. And the function of my job doesn't just doesn't operate that way. Like we are solely responsible for the entire mechanical portion of a design. So there's not someone telling us what needs to happen and we just like knock out checkbox tasks. We have to determine what has to happen and then also do the things that have to happen. So I'm not delegating work and everyone that I'm surrounded with is in the same position where we're not just like receiving orders. We work as a team on a product that has an end goal of like, this product has to launch at this time. Here's all the requirements. Now you guys go solve the problem, basically. There's set procedures for how to do certain things and there's best practices and design guides to make sure that we're not re-solving the same problems over and over again and like, reinventing the wheel on everything on things that are similar right but every product is different in some regard and there's not like like my manager doesn't tell me today you're going to work on this or this month this is what you need to do it's my job to own all those things and be responsible for those things which i prefer that way it's very like empowering i suppose that we don't really get micromanaged the flip side of that is there's a lot of responsibility and it can be high pressure sometimes or at least i i impose a lot of pressure on myself to get it right I totally get where you're coming from. And I feel like with what I do, I'm so much at the helm. And not to say that you aren't, but because directly the product that I create is from me. So most of the time, the communication that I'm doing to others that I work with is this is what I need. And so I think this sounds maybe kind of messed up, but because I'm doing that all day, like I'm always telling people what I need. It's nice in these other facets of my life, this podcast being one of them, to have you doing that. And anyone that's listening to this, I mean, I'd, I'll say, you have such a good grasp of of what this should be like. And we both listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, so we have like a good frame of reference, both of us. But to have you leading that charge a little bit. That's kind of what I was saying when I said I took that deep breath was like, yes, I care about this just as much as he does, but to have him lay out some stuff for for me to nail down before we do it. Dude, when it comes to music and and like my my art and stuff, I am a I'm a bowl. Like I I don't mm. I will have four people in a room tell me that it should be this other way and I'm so adamant and and I don't even want to I don't even want to say I'm always right but like my gut feeling on that creation is usually right and and it's what people respond to I always enjoy this contrast between what we do because you're creative as well but I've I always have enjoyed this contrast of your position 
and how, you know, what, what you just said, you are, you are almost like, I don't want to get too broad, but you're like getting at truth. Like you're getting at science. You're getting at like, this is the way it works. That's the goal. Yeah. And my conversation with people is like, this is just what I feel in my heart. And it's such a different conversation, and but it's so cool to see your your take on that. And and I wonder how much of like your creative mind and stuff goes into like how creative can you be? The the creativity happens in a different way. Just to clarify, I'm an engineer. I work on consumer electronics products. I had to adjust to that because I think when I entered the workforce after I graduated college. I really wanted to be creative in the creative sense. Like I felt like I would be doing a lot more like freely coming up with product ideas, that sort of creativity. The truth of it is I am solving problems and I have to usually think of creative ways to solve technical problems. There is some creativity in that influences the product overall. But in reality, it's a lot more like, how do I get all of these things to fit together? All these things that are different sizes and shapes and, and don't want to fit together nicely. The product is determined by what's called a product manager. And this is the person who is the market expert. They decide which features are going to be in a product, what they want it to do, um, all these sorts of things. And then from there, we determine all the technical side of it, how to how to achieve that goal. They, they tell us, here's the end goal. And then we work backwards to figure out what we need to do to make that happen. So, you know, they'll say it needs to have this much battery life and they'll give us a number in hours. But, you know, you can't just spec a like 24 hour battery. You have to spec it in milliamp hours, which is a function of the, the physical size of a battery. So then we have to figure out the size of the battery and then we have to figure out how everything else fits in around that and maybe we need to shrink the battery in this direction and then grow it in this direction to make up for that volume. And you have to be creative in that way, thinking in three dimensions at all times um, in the design, which I get stuck a lot of times thinking in two dimensions. I'll look at my model just like top down a lot and I will get stuck and then I'll realize I can rotate it this way and look at it in a different way. I used to be a lot more like artistically creative and I scratch that itch in different ways outside of work. When I first started working, I was very frustrated that like the artistic side of me was not getting exercised because I had sort of imposed that expectation on my job to fulfill me and I had to just I had to just accept that it's different and I had to learn to enjoy it for what it is because I really do like the pragmatic details technical things but at the same time like when I get done I feel like I want to like make art so I still do you know music and stuff outside of that but I bring all of like the annoying technical detail oriented shit to that and I get stuck with like the technical details of gear and how to make things all work. Music is cool because there's all these like technical rules, quote unquote, and then you figure out which of those rules you need to break to get to what it, the sound is in your head. I, at least I'm, I'm finding. Um, but I'm also not a like accomplished or professional producer or musician really in any regard. But this last year I've been trying to focus a lot more on it. And uh, I'm learning that like, there's a million YouTube videos about one topic and they all say more or less the same thing, but then someone will say something completely different. And you have to figure out like what to take and what to leave. And also um, the context matters a lot. So like a lot of the things that people will say as gospel works for most things, but then some applications don't work and you have to be creative to solve that problem too. So it's a lot of different, a lot of different skills.
I've never thought about music like that. I guess I sort of have without like consciously thinking about it, but you really are just trying to push as much creativity and like ear candy and stuff that you can without breaking rules. I like pushing that stuff and and I think as a songwriter, I'm definitely more prone to like the simplicity, like simple chord changes and and things like that. But if you go back and listen to, I don't want to speak out of my real knowledge of music, but I think you are the musician of the two of us. So (laughs) I think like the Beatles were the first mainstream band to start using like these half step walk downs and all these like key changes and that got into like mainstream radio. And I always found that so interesting. And, and I am not a Beatles fan. Like I'm, I like some of their songs, but to take that into when, when I'm creating music and say, what can we push right here? And usually it's not even like a moment in the studio where it's like, oh, we need to change right here. What do we do? It's like, I can feel going into this like key change. This There's this thing in music called um, relative key. And you can basically work that into any song. Basically at any time, you just have to get to it. So there's this process to get to that part and get out of it. And there's just this one song that I've been working on. And I was so in love with it. And it was so much fun to play. And I sent it to Nick. And he texted me back and he's like, what's happening right here? <laughs> don't don't think about it because yeah because I didn't think about it like I knew it was right and I knew I just got there yeah, yeah. and I knew even you know like theory wise this works no one's gonna listen to this and be like oh what just happened you know but he's the kind of guy where he can hear it probably more than most but he doesn't understand what just happened right? yeah so this song is so fun and and you've got to walk it down to this place and then you stay there for a bit and then you walk back out but those little things make it so interesting when people listen to a song rather than it being you know four chords you feel a change um i don't even know how we got to this point that we were just no it's okay i I like it though the um the interesting thing about music is like there's a very technical side of it but at the end of the day all that matters is how it hits your ear and what what it makes you feel. So to the point you're trying to make, a casual listener will notice that something happened because certain keys have different like emotional contexts. Like a minor key has a certain feel and a major key, but even with, within each key, different chords have different weight. So like certain chords want to resolve strongly to the tonic note of a scale. You know, if you want to elicit tension, you'll play one of those chords or those notes before a tonic because it'll feel like a... kind of thing, you know? So that's what the casual listener catches on to, even if subconsciously. But people who know music will kind of predict and they'll they'll feel it and appreciate it for a different reason, I think. But I wanted to go back to something that, that you said where you're talking about your brother like wanting to know what just happened. That's how I listen to music. And unfortunately, it's how I play music too. Like if I'll be playing guitar or I'll be farting around on the keyboard or something and I'll like find the chord I really like or I'll find a um, like a melody I really like, I won't just say I really like that and record it 
and then find something that sounds good with it. Spend three days figuring out what chord that was. Like the extensions or like if it was a, a suspended chord or like there's missing notes, but it's still a major or something. I'll try to figure all that out, even though it doesn't matter. Like I could have just recorded it in and then just farted around until I found something that matched it because I have a I have a decent ear, but my music theory is not great. The technical brain in me wants to know how it works and wants to know what exactly is going on. When I listen to music, I'll think about that. Like I've actually got like a note in my phone of like stuff that I I want to write stuff similar to. And I will like study songs and like, oh, they're using these sorts of sounds. I think it's this, I think it's this. I think it's like these sorts of, um, you know, constructions or patterns happening. Um, But especially like rhythmically and like percussion stuff, because that's, I'm more of a drummer than anything else. I will like transcribe and pick apart drum parts. Sometimes I wish I could just listen to music like a normal person. <laughs> there's 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 certain certain genres I can do that too because I have to listen to like really really technical like math rock because I just cannot comprehend it and so I don't even try. But anything else I'm like really trying to pick it apart. I've never thought about that with like some of the recommendations and bands that you have for me. Um yeah, it is very like mathematical. And even stuff that I've sent you when we work on tracks um, just to send each other and whatever, you know, scratch that itch. You know, I think the ones that you've liked the most are like my most technical moving songs. But that's how my, that's like the pace that my brain moves to. Like like when I was in college, when I would study, I would listen to like screamo music because anything else, like I couldn't focus unless my brain was stimulated enough to move at that pace. Right. It was funny because like my Spotify wrapped, dude, you know, it's that time of year Spotify wrapped comes out. The bulk of the time I spend listening to music is in the gym. And that's a very specific mindset that I feel like I need to be in. So I'm listening to like all screamo or like heavy house music or something that has like very consistent rhythmic pattern. Um, to it. So my Spotify wrapped is very skewed to like a psychopathic sort of <laughs> like it always describes me as um, dark, melodic, inquisitive. Like they put string together all these adjectives or whatever. But, you know, I like to listen to like Drew Holcomb too sometimes or like. That's how I would describe you, know. you dark and melodic. <laughs> Introducing you to s- some girlfriend. Like, have you met? I suppose- yeah, he's dark and melodic. <laughs> I suppose that's a compliment. Uh, the other thing I wanted to go back to was you said something about like trying to fit as much ear candy into something as possible within the rules. And I would actually challenge that mindset because I think sometimes people get carried away with trying to do cool shit, even if it doesn't fit. And I've heard this in like songs that get released to Spotify where I just feel like they found a new sound and they felt like they had to put it in somewhere it can be really distracting if it doesn't fit. So sometimes the right answer is to not do cool shit. Sometimes you just have to do what serves the song. Like one of my my drum teachers a long time ago, he would teach like technical, like rudiment fills and like, you know, you 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 practice a specific fill for hours on end to get it right. And then you you try to fit it in as often as you can to like lock in, to be able to recall it and play it whenever, right? But then he says, like, play it too much in practice and then never play it again. Like, don't ever play it live until you get to that one point where it fits. Because if you're always just running through your entire vocabulary all the time, it's like someone who uses a thesaurus in all of their emails for every word. Like, they're trying to sound 
proficient. And in reality, you end up sounding dumb because those words don't actually fit together in the context of what you're trying to say, even though technically they might work. So I think, I think this is an important thing that musicians miss is um, trying too hard to impress people with uh, technical competency or cool sounds that they've put together or, or whatever. And they, they kind of lose sight of what they're trying to say or what the song is trying to convey. That's such a good observation. So when we did the GoFundMe for the last record, suddenly when we were like overfunded for it. It's a huge bummer when you have too much money for something. But it was like what it translated to was time. Now we have time. And I think we really went into that record thinking, how big can we make it? How much fun can we have? How many like days after we record the basics of the song, the vocals and the acoustic how long can we afford to just keep making some sonic magic? And, um, you know, I would I would say that I think I'm probably the one in the group of people in the studio that, that pulls it back. So, you know, I did say, how much ear candy can we do? That probably was the mindset. But mm. I am, you know, if I'm writing most of the songs that happens on an acoustic guitar or a piano in my vocals, right? So I don't want to get too far from that, but I'm right. also open to people coming in and being like, yeah, this is this is great, but like something really interesting could happen right here. Like, So we just recorded this song, and we're listening back through what we had recorded already. It was um, vocals, some like main piano, main guitar, or rhythm guitar, and just like the the bare bones. And then when we were listening back through, our producer and Nick both, like every time there was a little, I don't know what the word is, every time there was like a little break. Space. Yeah, space. That's the word. They were like, oh, we need something right there. I was just like relishing in the space. And so I do think that's a call that you have to make. Yeah, space, space is a creative tool for sure. And there's, there's a difference between something feeling empty, I think, and something having space. Because there are definitely times where you'll listen to something back and you'll say, ah, I just, it needs something, but it needs like to like accentuate or support what's already happening. But then there's some things where it's very simple, but that's all it needs. So I think, I think the difference is coming at it with what is this need versus what can I add? And sometimes you don't need to add anything if it doesn't need anything. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes sounds to me like we're adding something we don't need, but if they, if everybody else in the room feels like there's something missing right there, well then. There are awkward spaces that deserve to be filled. I think I'm the kind of person that will like listen to music in like all those spaces. Like I will generally take more spaces than not in a song. And you know, you know this, but for people listening, I think I enjoy artists who are so vulnerable and that space is there that that it gives me time to think and feel rather than popping onto a new idea or the next verse or whatever. But you know, as a writer and I know that I need people around me that will like beef that up in a way. And, and you know, as far as our producer and Nick go, they listen to so much more music than me. Nick is listening to music all of the time. And I've said this in episodes past, but I just, I really don't. And it's, and it's because of sort of what we touched on earlier where I'm, I'm analyzing it so much 
it's hard mm. for me to listen to music and do something else because if I'm at the gym or I'm running or whatever, which good Lord, I need to do. But um, if I'm doing that and listening to music, I'm not 100% into the task that I'm doing. And that's why I love like podcasts and um, uh, like news radio and stuff because I can tune in and out of that easily. And I can be working on something and not really listening to what they're saying. I wish it wasn't like that because my Spotify rap ends up being, um, I'm just admitting this. When I'm sad, I listen to Talbot Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Do you look in the mirror while you do it? I self-reflect. I think that's what it is more than anything. Like, you know, I've always said I could probably be the most fun guy in the room, right? And and that is like, I think that's because I'm protecting myself from being vulnerable and like letting people, you know, into my mind. You you are probably on one hand of people I could count that really knows what I go through. And so the music, the music has always been my way of doing that. Like when I was a kid and I would get in a fight or something or like, you know, I'd get in trouble even with my parents, you know, they'd say, go to your room, right? Well, my guitar was there. So no matter what I was feeling, like I didn't beat the pillow up or the wall. It was like, I could just, this is where, this is a safe space where I can express this. And so I think when, when I go, when I sit down to write, you know, I'm never in a room with someone else. Like sometimes I'm in a room with Nick. Those end up being my least favorite songs. We're getting better yeah. at writing together and like being vulnerable in the moment and allowing each other to go there. But, you know, what it really is, is, is these moments that I feel and in my life where it's just me in a guitar or piano or whatever. And then I don't even think about it when I'm writing it. But, you know, the whole goal of that for me is to share it, right? So like when we have these pent up emotions or whatever, I don't know a better way to say it, and we, and we want to express it, but we can't. Like this is a place I can do that. And so then the wild thing about it is that like that's that's my art. Like that's what I'm giving to people. So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, um, you know, a lot of people that hear our music and become like, you know, quote unquote fans or whatever. I hate that word. I, I, I don't even know a better word. Supporters. Kind of sounds uh, jockstrappy, but. You're going to start. <laughs> oh, man. I remember the conversation before going into junior high. <laughs> so do you know how to use a jockstrap? Uh -huh. Which, by the way, no one wore jockstraps when we were in high school. Like our our dads wore jock straps, but we wore like compression shorts. My dad did this. My dad had the same conversation with me. He's like, "Did you have you gotten a jock strap yet?" And I think I actually got one and got made fun of because I had one. Like I had one on. Nick had one for sure. <laughs> I remember like being in my bedroom listening into his bedroom where my dad was helping. He was like, "I don't understand where this guy." <laughs> It's, it's the most confusing. There's a reason that we don't wear them anymore. It's the most con confusing uh, piece of undergarmentry. Does it still exist? Can you still buy one of those? I'm, I'm sure you can, but like no one wears them. Can we just title this episode Jockstraps and just get some like, that would be like a zinger of a, no one says zinger either. 
Anyway, you're talking about your your jocks or your, your uh, support your supporters or all your fans are gonna love listening to this and hearing us refer to them as nut holders. <laughs> so they uh, they get so much of like my inner dialogue and like my vulnerability mm. as a human that you know a normal conversation that you and I might have maybe not even on the podcast. That's kind of what makes us close. That's what makes us good friends. And, you know, one of the things that I've realized over time is that those people get that part of me, but I'm not really getting it back. But mm. but I don't think people think about that, really, you know? Right. Like, I'm somebody's best friend that came to, like, eight shows, right? To mm. them, but... I I don't have that return from them. And, you know, a lot of times after shows and stuff, um, we will get to have those conversations sometimes. And I do get to hear about them, but... But I, I'm, I'm going to cut you off here. What do you mean? Like, what, what do you mean you're not getting any return? Like, you want, you want them to be vulnerable with you or you want them to, um, like, wear your skin as a suit? I don't know if I want... <laughs> I don't know if I want them to like, do you like, like you want to hang out, you want to hang out with more of these people or you like, or you're just saying like in general, you're giving so much and you're uh, it's, you know, part of the, part of the job is that it's a one-sided sort of thing. That's what I'm addressing. Like that these, that people feel that they know me, but I don't know them really at sure. all. And, and they get mm. to some of my psyche and everything home like it's on spotify mm -hmm. and if they listen to us all week like our top listeners on spotify it's like man they you know they're probably thinking about my state of being more than i am you know i don't think they are no probably not that's being selfish no because because i think what happens at least for me is people like when i listen to a song that I connect with based on a position of life that I'm in. I'm not thinking, what, what were they going through when they wrote this? I'm thinking, this fits me. This fits my narrative right now. And maybe because I'm self-absorbed, but I don't know if this is going to be a disappointment for you to hear, but I don't know that anyone's listening to your songs and be like, what? I wonder why Tyler wrote that song. I wonder why he said those words. They message me. They ask, are you okay? I'm like, I'm great. I mean, I did you not have a bad Tuesday where you just wanted to like let it all out? And that's what right, I did. Right. Um, and I'm not mm. saying I want that relationship back. I don't think that's sustainable. Right. There's too many. Yeah. Well, there's at least three. So it's like... <sighs> that's too many. That's too many. Oh, I, I keep my friends very close. So I just think it's an interesting... Um, like thing yeah. to analyze mm -hmm. um you know i probably would be if if people really feel like they are in tune with what the writings are about and stuff they're probably someone that i would enjoy spending time with but they live in minneapolis you know mm. so and then i think there's kind of this thing where like we get to that town or whatever and i just want to say like if you bring us cookies and whatever you do when we're on tour, please don't stop. I am not saying that. <laughs> I am saying... He's saying he wants more people to do that. He wants more cookies. 
If you haven't been bringing him cookies, bring him cookies now. It's just, I, I always want to create. I always want to make music. I always want to do this, but it's, it's a lot to give away. Art is a lot of yourself to give away and feel like it just gets like sent out into space. I'm not high, I promise. It just gets like sent out and, and doesn't always come back, you know? So you yeah. kind of, you, you feel like you're like screaming into the void a little bit. You feel that way ever? Well, I, I can't really relate because I've never like released music in a real, in a real public way. I scream off into the void because that's what I need. I need like, a, I have like a pressure release valve, like a, like a instant pot. I think what you're saying is interesting. One, because I can't really relate, but I, I do kind of feel like it's interesting that there's like some layer of an expectation of something in return. It feels that way. And what, what you're saying is reading that way to me because the exercise of creating art and expressing yourself, the point of it, I feel, is to scream into the void. It's like to get those experiences like, or to you know, express them, right? Like if I, if I feel pain, I don't want someone else's pain in return. You know, but I want to be seen. I want to feel understood. That hit me right yeah. in my gallbladder, dude. Wow, that's important. Yeah, I, I don't want that pain back. Like, I don't want to just sit around with a bunch of people after the show that are just, you know. Commiserate. Yeah, maybe. You know, and, and, and I guess I wasn't even really saying that I want it back. I think I was just saying that it is a little bit exhausting for me to to have it be one-sided like that. You know, because, man, you know me, on a normal day, I'm, and this all goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. Like, I just want structure. Like, I want tasks and you know i i do weigh heavy on the things that trouble me and they do keep me up but i just love i love sitting at a bar at a restaurant i love watching netflix i you know i love reading the books i read and and you know i i don't know what i'm trying to get at and i'm not asking anything from anyone i'm lamenting that i you know like imagine you you know imagine Imagine you wrote a journal or even a book of songs and someone mm-hmm. found it, right? Well, the, the difference is, right, that I'm putting that out. And like, that's what I'm trying to say is that if I was just putting all of this stuff out there into the void and then wanting to get paid for it, that would be one thing, you know? But I've, I've truly realized that, you know, where I am in my career and, and things like that, like if it stayed right here, I could be okay. Like I'd be comfortable enough but I could do I could really do a lot of jobs and still write do you feel like you'd be able to express yourself in in the same way if you were writing for someone else because some people just want to you know express their feelings but they don't care who sings it like there are songwriters that's a thing that happens right or or screenplay writers or authors you know like it like to to you is, is there does the release only come from you saying the words with your voice and your body on stage? Or would you feel that you could treat it like a journal and let someone else read it out loud? <sighs> Screw you, man. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm asking. There's no wrong answer. Like if you, if you really feel like you have to um, bleed your own blood out on the stage figuratively or sometimes literally, that's fine. That's valid. Saying what you just said, um, I have so many people around me that are close to me when I like 
even just joke about doing something else, right? Because you know, as my friend, you know, every job has its, you got your Mondays, you got the hard thing about it. And there's a lot of things like that for my job. Every time I joke around with people like, "Ah, you know, maybe I'd just like to do this or that. They always say, well, you wouldn't be happy. And and I, I've never said that. I think the, I think there's, this is a different thing though, because they probably think that you're talking about becoming an electrician. Not that I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being an electrician, but what I'm saying is what if you could make a living being a songwriter? Because that's what you, that's the part that you like, right? So this is what I am trying to say. You finally figured it out. Thank you. What I was trying to say was that to write these songs, to make this art, that's all I need. I don't need anything else from it. And I think all the Mm -hmm. expectation or what I'm trying to do outside of just writing the song, being on the road and that sort of thing, that is hard for me. And, Mm -hmm. And I feel like in episodes before, I've always tried to dance around it because I appreciate people so much, but I, I don't need that. You don't fancy yourself as a performer. Like that's not the itch you're scratching. Cause there's, to be honest, I, I like, that's the part of it that I liked the most is being in front of people and the energy, you know? I mean, I like to create in my bedroom in my underwear also, but it's different. To me, the itch was scratched by like me being on stage and connecting in the moment, right? But not everyone is that way. Not everyone, not everyone, it's not everyone's favorite part of the job, you know? And that's okay to admit is what I'm trying to say. And it's okay to, if that has changed, like if you started there and now you're, you know, you don't, to stay static I've, I've, yeah and I've you know we've played shows before and then like it'll be another artist coming where people will talk about me like oh yeah so and so is going to be here next week and I remember specifically this one time this guy said you know this guy's coming to play next week and he's like an entertainer right and in my mind you know when I first heard that I was like are you talking about like he's a magician or something he has a puppet show but dude I get it I mean there's some guys that are just like born like Elvis. Like, and I, I just think, you know, I've learned how to make it through live performances. I truly think if I could just be a songwriter and people always say like, oh, well, then somebody else is going to be playing your songs. You're going to hate that. But I remember, man, I met um, Tim McGraw's songwriter at a festival once. And you're outing Tim McGraw for not writing his own music right now. If you're listening, Tim, we're on to you. We know your secrets. You outsource your songwriting. Which, by the way, like, can we just, if you sing someone else's songs, who gives a shit? Like, I think that that whole thing is overplayed. Like, oh, they don't write their own songs. You probably don't want them to. Yeah, if you're good, but that's the thing. Entertainer versus songwriter. And I remember after a bar bar gig we did, somebody came up to me and they're like, you guys have some really good songs. And they're like, even if you just wrote songs. And we were young, and and a lot of what I've learned about quote unquote entertaining has been from doing it right like people like when you this is gonna sound so stupid people like when you smile people like when you like keep your body turned towards the audience right like a lot of stuff like that is little little tricks as a songwriter I use to make you think I'm an entertainer I'm not that and I think i I think I really would be happy writing these songs and making a living doing that because it all goes back to when I was a kid and what I was doing it for. I mean, I have to do it. I have to do it even when I had other jobs, you know, through the years and stuff, even if that that felt like my main thing during the day, I'd go home and get on my guitar and 
it was like journaling. It was like, you know, I can put like a melody to this feeling and that felt in some way that felt like it like expelled it out of me in a more, more efficient way. You know, what it is for me when I write is I'm, I'm getting a feeling and a thought out. And when I say out, I mean like I am taking it from my chest and letting it go. And, and so I, I think I would be happy doing that. Well, I'm going to say that more people win Grammys for songs that they didn't sing than singers win Grammys for songs that they sing, you know? And that's not, I'm not saying that's what it's about, but I'm just saying like a lot of people don't know how many different ways and avenues there are to make a career in the music industry other than being an artist. But what I'm saying is like, if you are the kind of person who is okay with just creating the art and not performing the art, there is a job for you in, in this industry. I know you know that. I'm explaining it that way to people who might not understand. Like, that's why artists have other people write their songs because there are people who are really, really good songwriters and are really good at getting across a message. And a lot of times artists will, it's not just like they bought the song off of someone. Sometimes that happens. But uh, oftentimes an artist will work with a songwriter to put together what they're trying to say in a way that is art, like that is good, um, that is less clunky than the way that they would say it. I'm just trying to quell the, uh, um, the judgment for artists that have songwriters because it, it, it's the same way that um, like authors have editors. It's really the same thing. It's delegating. It's, it, you know, it goes back to what we said before. Like, you, you know, an artist could come to you and say, this is what I want to say. And then you would put the hammer to the nail and like they're delegating that part of the job to you because they're a performer and they want to perform this, the, the song, right? Yeah, and you know as my friend how much I think doing the entertainment side and being on the road has has costed, you know, and, and um, it's a difficult thing to do. Well, even minimally just physically what it does to your body, you know. Especially as like you know the quote unquote working musician this this class of this class of artists at this similar level that you know you don't have buses or private jets or a team of people loading you in like you are doing all of the work and it, it's a manual labor job and you do it nine nine days a week sometimes <laughs> meaning you do it twice a day sometimes. Yeah, I always joke with Nick. I'm always like, I'm just a glorified truck driver because, you know, I'm not saying that truck driving is a bad job because I've considered that many, many times, I think. But what I am doing is just transporting one thing to another place. But when I get there... Then you also have to perform. Yeah. Um, you know, 2020 and everything kind of made me think about it some more. And I was just uh, talking to my dad and... Uh, he said that they're starting up this this courier um, division for his work, and you know he he's always so. My dad is I don't know if he's ever de- if he's asking himself or he's he's asking me, but he mm. always will be sitting there for a while, quiet, if we're just like having a beer or whatever, and he'll be like. He, he's dude. He's probably asked me this two hundred times in my life. He's like, if you could do anything else, what would you do? And you know, my answer early on was always like, I'm doing it, Dad. Like I'm, 
I'm I'm happy, right? But he would always get super like introspective, and I think he was asking himself that question. Like, my dad is a mm. guy that did something that um, maybe wasn't what he dreamed he would do, but like he was good at it, and he just saw a need and he filled it. And then he's and then he wanted his family to have everything they needed. Simple. Like if you asked right. him today why he did it, he would say that and it'd be true. Um, but going back to saying like, you know, people say like, well, you wouldn't be happy and like no one's ever asked me I would be happy doing something else. Yeah. Maybe you on this podcast just now. But um, he said he has this courier job opening up and I was like, I thought about it a little bit and he's like, you realize that your resume for that would be, you'd have it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Can drive truck from spot one to spot two. Sometimes yep. load shit into said truck. Can lift 50 pounds. Yeah. And the, um, you know, eight lane traffic in California or whatever. And it's like, all these situations where I probably shouldn't have survived. <laughs> no car accidents happened, knock on wood. Yes, yes, yes. But it's, it, you know, it's entertaining to me to think about these different paths that yeah. we could have, like you could have done something else, but. Still can. I don't want to speak for you right. Yeah, we're young, but. Bro, my, I'm, I'm just going to say, like my mom went to school in her fifties to become a nurse. Like people can change direction. I think, I think there's this illusion that um, once you pick a path in your life, you have to stick to it. And the, uh, there are situations where it's irresponsible for you to stop what you're doing. Like if there's people who rely on you and you know, you can't afford, you literally can't afford a lapse, right? That's a different thing. But if like, um, you know, I, I think people get into, and I'm not saying this is you, I'm just saying generally, I think people get into situations in life where they're miserable and they they think that they can't change what they're doing um, out of pride or like they don't want to seem a, or feel like a failure. Um, but I, I, I think that sticking in something that is not a fit for you is a failure. You know, it's, it's a failure to yourself. Um, I think, and I know that was deeper than what you, either of us were trying to say, but I, I think it relates just in the fact that like you can change direction, even if it's a lateral direction, a lateral move in the same field, or if you want to change direction and become an electrician or whatever, you know, you can, and I could, I could decide in 20 years that I want to do something different. And I'm like, I, I can. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And then I think that there's part of me that feels like this obligation to what I do that ha it has become this thing. Like if I if I left it, there's a lot of people that would affect, you know. And I think, but you can you can also like not. It doesn't have to be black and white. You can pull back and still do it, and then do other things. It doesn't have to be like. There's a lot of pressure to play a certain amount of shows a year. Um, just based on you know the fact that you have to make a certain amount of money a year, let's let's call it what it is. Like it's a job, and you're making money from it, and your life costs a certain amount of money. But 
if you could do half that and do half of something else. I like the thought of that. And I like what you said about it can always change. Um, you know, I think you get to a certain point in your life or a certain age, like you just said, your mom was 50 and did this whole new thing. Um, that's pretty amazing. I, I, I want to, I guess I just don't ever want to rule that out. I always want to be like, if this other opportunity came along, then it'd be a thing. And I'd always be writing music for this and putting out music and, you know, the shows are fun. They're so fun, but it, right. it's, um, you know, every, I think I've said this before, but every day that I wake up is a Monday and it's everyone else's Friday, you know, when they come out for right. a show. So it's not sustainable, but that's why I've been trying to think about other things and not necessarily completely different field. But what I was trying to say about that guy we met at the festival was that he, you know, he wrote these songs for Tim McGraw all these years and, you know, the hits, everything you could think of right now. And um, I will say that he didn't seem like he was in the best physical shape, but that's a choice. In, Whoa, in, careful. People are not going to be happy to hear you say that. Let me repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think he was happy. Yeah. You know? And, you know, part of this life, something that we get to enjoy if we want to, is to have a family and have a, a home. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt like all these years... I've sort of been turning my back on that idea to do mm. what I do, and it's not necessary. It just requires a lot out of a person to any job, mm-hmm. man. Like if you put this much into it, it it's going to cost you and the people around you. And um, I still go back and think about this guy. He he just seemed content, you know. Mm. Like he was creating, but he had what he wanted which was a wife and a home and and had kids mm. too you know and he was being paid handsomely for it i'm sure oh, i can't imagine tim mcgraw's writer pretty good well yeah i mean i guess this is probably the inaugural or uh we never stopped we just stopped we stopped posting them i hope it works if if uh yeah if if all um i've apparently run out of words if the audio and video works, then we can post this one is what I'm trying to say. So in that in that spirit, thanks everyone for listening to another episode back of Similar Vein. Uh, be sure to like and follow and all the things on social media at Similar Vein Podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye.